Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know... Today is one of those days when I guess I've been sort of brainstorming ideas. Not sure why, but, you know, when I brainstorm in in the uh, hobby sense, what I do is I spend a lot of time watching videos, reading books, looking at pictures of natural aquatic habitats and getting ideas on, you know, who lives there, how these habitats form, what the influences are, all that kind of stuff. It's really one of my favorite parts of the aquarium hobby, learning about those different habitats and considering the ecology and the fishes which reside in them. And this, of course, gives me a lot of inspiration for my new aquarium executions when they happen. And that's what keeps this hobby so amazing is there's so many different inspirations. I'm very fascinated by the floodplain rivers and the wetland, you know, complexes from which many of our aquarium fishes come from. Most of these habitats are subject to extensive seasonal flooding. This is a common theme in my work. I know terrestrial to aquatic and back. You know, larger river channels possess these well-developed fringing floodplain systems like the internal delta, which is located at the confluence of the Apure and the Orinoco rivers in uh, in Brazil. And they form a habitat called Amorishal. Now, Amorishal is a lowland stream found in savanna areas of South America, uh, the Amazon River Basin, the Upper Negro you know, river drainage in Brazil, the Orinoco River Basin, and the Orinoco River in Colombia and in Venezuela, among many, many other locales. Now, this habitat's dominated by a certain type of a palm tree, the so-called Mauritia palm, uh, Mauritia flexulosa. And if that sounds a little familiar, we've had some of the pods of that species available over the years. And there's all kinds of extensive riparian, you know, vegetation. Now, this palm is interesting to me because it only grows where its roots can be underwater. Gotta love that, right? And it's typically found in groups, hence the term Morishal, which refers to a group of them. Forgive me if I'm butchering the the language a little bit. Um, Unfortunately, English speakers, sometimes we tend to do that. So my apologies. Now, these are really surprisingly densely populated habitats, fish-wise. Morishals are characterized as having what ecologists call high structural complexity. The two types of Morishal habitats are flooded vegetated areas and what are known as sandbanks. Now, the flooded, flooded vegetative areas are dominated by stands of that aforementioned Mauritius palm, having up to 90% of the substrate in these areas covered by palms and lots of woody debris derived from riparian vegetation, mainly the palms, as well as some terrestrial grasses and leaf litters. And these habitats have made, uh, they have a very moderate or very slow current throughout the year, and they're usually pretty shallow, like a meter or less. Now, sandbanks in the Moorish Hall are defined as sandy beaches off of the main channels, and they're mostly comprised of coarse sand substrates with a typical depth of around three feet or one meter and a very moderate current. This is interesting because you have two distinct types of Moorish Hall habitats with different types of fishes that live there, and you can do research on this, and they both make fascinating, potentially really game-changing uh, aquariums. Now, Moorish Halls are considered important systems for the maintenance of freshwater 
you know, neotropical fauna in these lowland savannas. The monodominant or, or, you know, dominant stands of single species, the monodominant stands of the palm and the associated growth of riparian vegetation with it provide important food to a great number of species. Now, although typically, you know, uh, typically not what you'd expect from a, a flooded area, uh, Moorish also are really interesting. They're considered important systems for the maintenance of all kinds of animals. And although they're typically supplied with underground water sources throughout the year, these streams really swell with water during periods of seasonal flooding, which makes sense. And the riparian vegetation and the sandy substrates are all over the place. And when you have trees, vegetation, and a seasonal influx of water, utilizing botanicals in your aquarium replication of this habitat is just, you know, par for the course, right? Yeah, it is. Now, the habitat itself has an abundance of botanical debris, you know, leaves, macroalgae, fallen branches, palm fronds, and a big matrix of, you know, roots and stuff. All that kind of stuff we're interested in. And with terrestrial plants growing right up to the water's edge, the possibilities to create a really cool display are pretty much unlimited. With a little creativity, you could simulate the growth of the riparian vegetation of the Morishal. I've seen people do it already. I've seen some really neat tanks that people are playing with on Instagram where they're sort of, they're not calling it a Morishal because they probably haven't, you know, don't have that awareness of, the, of this habitat, but they were, they're unintentionally creating, re- recreating that habitat. It's pretty neat to see. The flooded vegetation habitats along most Morishals are important to fish fauna, and they're comprised largely of small-bodied cichlids, kerosens, um, fishes like pencilfish, and even some catfish. The sand patches tend to have slightly less species richness, as you might guess, and a population density that's a little lower than in those vegetated areas. It makes sense. There's less places to hide, right? And you're a little fish, you kind of want to hide. Now, it makes sense, again, that they're more populous <laughs> in the vegetated areas because the woody debris and the leaf litter are known to support higher primary and secondary productivity, according to ecologists, which basically provides fishes with more foraging opportunities on a larger variety of substrates. So it's not just the protection that these debris provide, but they provide a foraging area for them to find sustenance. Again, it's a case of fishes following the food, that idea that we've discussed a million times here, right? Now, I did find a couple studies on a typical Morishal habitat, and the distribution among the fishes of two major Morishal habitats that was in the study was basically explained as follows. And I'm going to read this to you because I can't memorize it. Okay. The researcher, uh, Carmen Montuma and Greg Lehman and Donald C. Taphorn, that name sounds familiar, doesn't it? Those people um, did a little research on these marshals, and here's one of their quotes about the fish habitats. They said, in vegetated patches, we find a relatively high abundance of small cichlids and dorid catfishes with different body shapes and feeding habitats, or habits, excuse me. Uh, example, uh, Epistogramma hongnoi. Uh, then there's a fish I can't even pronounce, Physophyxis anassis, ananas. Wow, tired pronouncing that one at your next cocktail party, right? But small omnivores, kerosens, with less diversified body morphologies, such as tetras of the genera Moncausia and Hemogrammus, dominated open and shallow beaches. So there you go, some interesting differences in what lives there. And there's another little tidbit from the study that I found really interesting. They concluded, although we did not evaluate communities of small invertebrates in the study, it was apparent that the vegetated patches contained a high abundance of shrimps and other macroinvertebrates. Yeah, shrimp. Oh, and aquatic plants too, right? That's really interesting. 
and it's not uncommon to find large stands of Eleocaris in shallow areas. In the deeper water, several species of Ludwigia are found in significant density, and in the shallow areas, you'll often find simple filamented algae. Another cool aquatic plant that you'll find in these habitats is the much-loved, yet still challenging to many, Tanina fluviatalis, which grows in dense stands within these shallow, acidic, slow-moving Morishal habitats. And Tonina is an interesting plant. If you've seen it, it's very pretty. In fact, the first encounter I ever had with this was probably, wow, I want to say it was like 10 years ago. Our, our dear friend Jake Adams of Reef Builders, he was, is very into some of these rare plants. He was probably the first person I know that brought these in. Uh, I don't know where he even got them from, but I remember getting pieces of those. And those were really amazing little plants. And they're perfect for this type of habitat. And they're still available widely if you look. So there's plants for this specific type of habitat. It's pretty cool. Now, although the waters in these habitats are largely clear, as in not turbid, some are stained with tannins and are typically acidic in pH, usually 6.0 or less. And they have significant amounts of roots and all that kind of stuff from the terrestrial and all the riparian vegetation growing around them. You see tons of palm leaves, fruits, and seed pods submerged on the substrate in these Moorish halls. And of course, that's where we come in, right? <laughs> Scattering botanical materials along the bottom of the aquarium would create a pretty good replication of the Moorish hall environment. I wouldn't go too crazy in terms of variety. Rather, I'd limit my selections to a few botanicals and just sort of do it up that way so as to emphasize the abundance of several dominating terrestrial or plant species uh, in the locale, as we talked about. Now, what about the fishes, Scott? Oh, yeah, let's get to that. So these environments contain dozens of different fish species in relatively small areas, including the kerosens, catfishes, and dwarf cichlids. Now, some unusual kerosen species like hemiotis um, are found in these habitats, occasionally available in the aquarium trade. They'd make pretty cool stars for a specialized display like this. My vision a wide, shallow tank. That'd be cool. Now, the beautiful green neon tetra, Paracaridon simulans, one that we're familiar with from our experiments, is known and to live in this type of habitat and they're super sexy right and very small oh and dwarf pike cichlids are often found in Morishal habitats which is really cool for those of you that are into cichlids of course some of the more popular kerosens like the pencil fishes uh, nanochromus uh, or nanostomus uh, unifasciatus is one i don't know why i said nanochromus <laughs> and those are found there you'll find some epistogramma along with the uh, mesonota insignis that's another one of those and i butcher that name too but you know what i'm talking about um, that's another cichlid that's found in a Moorish hall, and it'll lend a sort of a familiar, if not exotic, look to your display. As a subject for riparian study, the Moorish hall environment presents a near-perfect opportunity to really stretch your aquatic creativity by highlighting some well-known fishes in an unusual and not often replicated niche. Think of the creative possibilities here. The Moorish hall is sort of symbolic of where we are in the aquarium hobby. We're at a real high point where it's extremely, entirely possible to create very realistic, functionally aesthetic aquatic displays, utilizing natural materials to mimic the look and feel of really unusual aquatic habitats, while simultaneously learning about these you know, natural treasures in person. With so much to explore in the natural world, and so many habitats or, or aspects of them to replicate in the aquarium, we have really unique opportunities to get out of our comfort zone, to study the form and function of the, um, the, you know, these interesting habitats and create great work. It'll be really fun to see what kinds of representations our community could continue to push out to the world when we look at these unusual and perhaps overlooked habitats and really work at trying to replicate the function and form of them. So let's keep pushing. Stay creative, stay studious, stay bold, 
Stay excited, stay resourceful, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Dolman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.